Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. I wonder this morning if, if Jesus blows your mind a little bit, would you just tell someone near you, that Jesus blows my mind. And, uh, and you might want to tell them how. Tell them how, how Jesus blows your mind. Maybe he's done something really good in your life and you can encourage somebody this week. Thanks, Ron. Maybe Jesus has uh, answered prayer. Maybe there's something you read in the Bible that just, wow, it astonishes you. You can encourage one another. Maybe you jumped out of a plane and you survived. And <laughs> you can tell someone near you. <laughs> Various ways of the grace of God, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. We are going to begin uh, to to move into a time uh, sharing around uh, the Word of God uh, this morning. And as we've been doing so over recent weeks, we're considering um, what is kind of the foundation of God's moral code, His law. In fact, fundamental laws for all humanity that have resonated throughout the ages. And um, they're very, very relevant today. You might know them as the Ten Commandments the thou shalt nots, or perhaps the thou shalt what's of the Bible. Uh, what is God, you know, what is he trying to do? Um, and we've been uh, discovering them a little bit. We are this morning kind of pivoting a little bit um, in these Ten Commandments. For We've been working our way from the outside in and uh, uh, coming from the back forwards. And, and we're going to get to the first commandment just next Sunday evening. Uh, when we'll be gathering and sharing communion then, and uh, that'll be like the, the climax, yeah, of everything. It's all, it, can you feel it? It's just kind of getting better and better. Uh, some of you can't feel it yet. Uh, you know, just, yeah, we'll get there, okay. And, uh, but here we are, pivoting from the first six, or the last six in a way, uh, which have been a little bit about how we love our neighbor as we love ourselves or as we would like to be loved ourselves and that's really a kind of a distillation of those six and now we kind of pivot into these first four of the commands which Jesus summed up and uh, we find in the Old Testament as well that we should love the Lord our God with everything we've got heart, mind, soul, spirit everything that you've got that's why we talked about that as we were praising God uh, just before Oftentimes, we think in our world that we would like people to behave, yeah? Behave better, by which we mean behave like us. Isn't that the truth? Uh, If everyone could just be like us, then everything would be so much better, wouldn't it? Um, We want people to behave. God here makes plain, Jesus made plain that we love the Lord our gods in these manners. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, this evening, next week as well. There ain't no behaving without believing. And there often won't be believing without belonging. God has to be our God. We must experience the love of God in order for us to love in response. The Bible teaches it so many times, so many ways, that it's Christ's love that compels us. You know, if you're just a goody two-shoes, it'll get you so far, but it won't get you all the way. If you are a genuinely good person, it might get you a long way, but it won't get you all the way. It is only through the love of Jesus Christ that we can respond in the ways that God calls us to respond. Does anybody know that to be true? Has anyone ever come to the end of themselves? Are you a bunch of fibbers? 
We all come to the end of ourselves and very, very quickly and very, very readily, especially when compared to the perfection of God. But he calls us to love the Lord our God. I would ask you this morning, is God your God? Is he yours? Jesus was asked, how should we pray? And what did he say? He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, yeah? There's belonging, isn't there? There's believing in these things, behaving, that'll come later, but belonging and believing. If you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, that you might be saved, that you might be made new, that you might have the hope of the fullness of life with him now and forevermore in his very presence. If you've never done that, can I invite you? Come on, do it now. Do it today. Don't delay. God loves you. I thought that was good news. The rest of you are not convinced that this is good news. But God loves you. And he invites you to know what it is to be loved by him. I want to be loved by you. Well, I normally refrain from singing. I'm not sure what came over me there. Just you, God. Nobody else but you. God invites you to know what it is to be loved by him and to love him in return. And everything else falls into place. And so that's our pivot this morning as we move into these uh, first four, the last four for us of the commandments. And uh, this morning our, our thinking is around the idea of catching our breath, yeah? Oh, it was great, wasn't it, that we sang this morning, it's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out praise, yeah? You ever think about it like that? It's only because of what God pours in that we can pour out. Isn't that the truth? Catching your breath. Everyone take a deep breath. You can breathe out as well. Pass out a nice. I read um, in my newspaper uh, this week about an MP, a conservative MP, no booing now. Um, Tim uh, Lawton, I think his name is. Let me check. Yeah, Tim Lawton. And he was quoted this week as saying that one of the greatest causes of stress in the world, what do you think it was? One of the greatest causes of stress in the world. You can't name somebody in there. That's not allowed. One of the greatest causes of stress in the world was the invention of the shower. The shower, in his opinion. And he said this, he said, the only way to start each day is by spending up to an hour in the bath every morning, just thinking about things. <laughs> and he concluded, it's like going to the gym for the mind. Of course, if you go to the gym for the body, you do need a shower, okay? Uh, you can't get away from this. But uh, do you get what he's driving at? Space and time. Abel's confessing he doesn't take baths. Um, okay, just to clarify. Um, space and time. Thinking, relaxing, resting. You may think that, well, that's very nice for him, and maybe that just reinforces your prejudices about MPs. Maybe you don't think they do enough. I don't know. I would advise you they do an awful lot in actual fact. But... Um, He's not the only one to think that you need space and time to rest and to catch your breath. 
You might know about another MP a long, long time ago in the 18th, 19th centuries, a guy called William Wilberforce. You ever heard of him? He was a famous reforming campaigner. I visited his house not long ago in Hull. And you're wondering, why did you go to Hull, Pastor Greg? We had a spare weekend. And so we went to Hull. What what else would you do? Um, But we ended up there. And uh, and we went into his house. And and we learned all about the incredible things that he did. Reforming the working week. Reforming the status of women in society when it was very unequal. Loads and loads of incredible reforms. He was a hard worker. And he got a lot done. What you may not realize about William Wilberforce is that he basically refused ever to do a jot of work on a Sunday. And uh, he started out with this quite early on in his career because, you know, he was capable, he was intelligent, he got, got things done. And, of course, his superiors started to notice this and they thought, well, he'd be a good guy to have in the cabinet or he'd be a good guy to have on side. Let's promote him, let's get him doing do-do-do-do-do more and more and more and more and William, he started to feel the pressures and the stresses of these uh, demands upon his life. I'm sure many of us, we found ourselves in similar places. And uh, one Sunday, taking his rest, his guarded rest, he wrote in his diary of how all of these ambitions, all these possibilities, they're not bad things, good opportunities perhaps for influence. He said, how suddenly these earthly things assumed their true size. They've been getting big, big in his mind, big in his heart, big in the opinions of everyone around him, but in the face of God, in the space of rest, they rather took on a better perspective. Rest brought perspective. Of course, that didn't mean that he didn't work hard. You know, perhaps, that the crowning achievement of his life, and he had to wait an awful long time for it, was finally, finally, finally the legislation that he wanted to push through to ban slavery in Britain and its territories finally got through towards the the, the end of his career, the end of his life. All the work that he did, all the achievements he did, he said, I did them in a sustainable way. As he surveyed an incredible career from the end of it, he looked at his contemporaries and how many of them had fallen by the wayside and burnt up and burnt out and lives wrecked and ruined. And he considered this. He said, with peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from over-tension. I think perhaps he can speak something into our lives today, can he not? You see, today you can read statistics that say that 40% of work-related sickness and illness is actually stress-related. 40%! And they're forever finding new connections, aren't they, that... Back pain can be stress-related, and uh, even stomach ailments can be stress-related. All these kinds of connections to stresses and strains. And when we think about this, I think we should... Let's go right back to the beginning of God's heart for us. We can read God's command to us in Exodus 20, if you want to go there. and it's It's the longest command in terms of words. Verse 8 is where we'll begin it's going to come up on the screen as well I'm sure and there God says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God 
On it, you shall, do no, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your life. You're thinking, if I had male and female servants, I wouldn't have to do any work. Um, but no, nobody is the point. Um, or your livestock or the sojourner, that is somebody who isn't perhaps part of your nation or community but is staying with you. So they also within your gates won't work either. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. Amen. So it's the longest of all the commandments, but as we've said already, we're, in a sense, we're boiling it down to three simple but powerful words today. Catch your breath. Catch your breath. Have you ever run a long distance? Any of you like to run long distances? My wife likes to run long distances. I think the longest distance I ever ran in school was the 1,500 meters. That's not very far, is it, really? But in one go. And, uh, you know, you start off with good intention, don't you? What is 1,500 meters? Three and a bit laps? Is that it? Something like that? And uh, first lap, not being much of a runner. I know, it's hard to believe, is it? But not being much of a runner, you just I went all out, you know? I'm like, three and a bit laps? That's nothing. I can do that. Sprint. Just do it. Second lap, not so much. Third lap, oh my goodness. Did it get hot in here? Has somebody been sucking out all the air? Last lap, you're on your knees basically by this point, aren't you? You're pulling yourself along with your lips. Uh, this is all that you've got left. Whew, catching your breath. I, I'm quite dangerous over short distances, but uh, not so good when it gets a bit longer. Ever climbed a mountain? And the air gets a little thinner and thinner the higher you go. Do, do you ever do any exercise in this church? <laughs> Looking at me blankly, I don't run on the level and I certainly don't go up at all. You know? <laughs> We're couch athletes. <laughs> Catching your breath, it doesn't always come so easily especially not in the busyness and the stresses of life. Yet here, God commands it. Now, I know when we consider the commandments of God, there's something within us as we want to accommodate one another and, and we want to, to care for one another, don't we? And so we instantly run to adding a number of sub-clauses, don't we, to every commandment. Does anyone else do that? And you look at the bottom of your Bible, it's like there's a little letter there or a number there. Maybe at the bottom it tells me my way's out. Um, and we want to do this, sometimes for good reason, because we know how difficult lives can be. And so we say, you know, uh, you should keep the commandments, uh, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And here are all of the sub-clauses at the bottom. It is not for people who are wearing pink today or anybody whose name begins with an F. Or, uh, we, and we want to help each other out. You know, that God wants to help you out too. And so let's not jump to sub-clauses just yet. Let's consider that God says, this is a command. That God doesn't make these things optional. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now let that tension press in on you a little. 
Can we do that? Let the feeling of the stretch just... Because it's good to be challenged by God. It's good to be stretched by our God. See, God knows what will lead us into ways that will ultimately break us. He doesn't want you to be stretched to the point of breaking in a negative direction, but he also knows the ways for you and for me to flourish. It's not surprising that God knows what's good for us and what's not so good for us because right here in the command, the reason there's so many words in this commandment is because God is making a really significant connection. And here God is connecting this commandment for Sabbath rest and the holy observance of Sabbath rest. And God is commanding it in connection with creation. God is saying that rest is essentially built into his created order just as much as work is. So if you like to work, don't worry, okay, it's in there as well. For six days... God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that are in them, including people just like you and me. Yeah, we are people. Good. Excellent. God created everything. And on the seventh day, he rested. I'm not saying that God had to catch his breath. After all, God said, let there be light and there was. How hard was it really for him? That doesn't sound like hard work, does it? You know, if you could speak things into being, God, let there be fish and chips on the table for tea tonight, then all would be well, wouldn't it? Um, It doesn't quite work out like that for us. Uh, This is part of the fall. You know, this is why we need redemption, because in heaven, there will be fish and chips on the table for tea. Amen. Uh, Talking of food, actually. there's a lot of food downstairs when we finish and go down to the cafe. We have it this week because the teenagers aren't here, so they won't all eat it before you. You had great food last week as well, didn't you? International evening, fantastic. As well as all that food downstairs, there is a cake, the like of which you have probably never seen in your lives. Yeah? A little bit of, a little bit of Irish wonder. Uh, anyhow. I can easily get distracted, can't I? (laughs) Um, Where were we? Food. No, it wasn't food. Um, What was God doing with us? God is creating. And in creation, the commandment here makes it plain. Read it in Genesis for yourself, first couple of chapters, that the pinnacle of creation, the climax of the whole story, oftentimes I've thought that it's people, you know, because God made man and woman and he looked at them and he said, not only are they good, but they are very good. Would you look at someone near you and say, you are very good? Would you do that? All right, excellent. Okay, good. We need a bit of encouragement, don't we, Margaret? You're very good, yeah. And uh, actually, the, the, the climax of the story is Sabbath. It's rest. It's meant to be the pinnacle of it all. How do you feel about that? Are you in tune with how God orders things in his world? He made it. This is how he's done it. Are we trying to make a world in our own image rather than in God's image? Do we struggle with it? Do we want to get going again? I know that impulse myself. I know you think, Pastor Greg, I had no idea you had any energy whatsoever. uh, We want to get going again in life, don't we? We struggle to rest. Many of us will say things like, there aren't enough hours in the day. Anyone ever said that? 
yeah? It's normally you're cleaning the house or you've got a, a deadline at work or there's an exam tomorrow and if only there were more hours in the day, yeah? Or why didn't God make an eighth day in the week? You know, we'll think things like this, won't we? Well, God didn't. He didn't. He could do. If God wanted to make another day right now, he could do. Just like he can put fish and chips on my dinner when I get... No, enough about that. God can do whatever he wants. Why has God not made you an extra day or an extra hour in the day? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God's made people. God's made people. You, I, are not meant to achieve everything on our own. You feel the stress and the pressure of life. You feel the difficulties of the challenges upon you. I would ask you, is it really more time that you need? Or is it actually an investment in someone alongside you that you need? What did God make for Adam? Did he make him an eighth day or did he, did he make Eve his partner, his helper, his equal and complementary helper in life? You know, if, if, it, if it had all been just down for Adam to do everything, then God could have just, you know, given him double the time. But he didn't. He made a person. I want to ask you this morning, where is your investment are you trying to squeeze more into your life? Or are you trying to squeeze more love into your family and your friends? An investment of help and, and care and enabling and equipping in the people that are alongside you. Are you frustrated in your place of work? Do you bemoan your colleagues or do you find a way to invest in them? There needs to be a shift in our thinking, not that we need to be busier, not that we need more time, not that we need to do more ourselves. Rather, we need to understand why God has given us the time and the people within the time that he has done. Jim Elliott, an incredible missionary who gave his life trying to bring the gospel to incredibly violent tribes. He, he knew what it was to invest himself in other people. And he once said this, he said, wherever you are, and he went to some really crazy places. And he said, wherever you are, be all there. Be all there. Now, I know many people have said similar things, but we need to hear this again, don't we? How present are we? In a world of constant distractions, constant calls on our attention, how present are we? How present are we? Now notice also that this seventh day in creation was the seventh day of, uh, that God had made. And for him, it was a day of resting, of doing nothing. God chose to do that within his own nature and his own schedule. But for people, that wasn't their seventh day. They'd only just arrived on the scene. You and I, we, uh, you know, with Johnny come lately, and uh, God had done incredible stuff already. People had just arrived. So for people, the seventh day for God was their first full day. I think it's a bit of a revolution there for us. We think we'll tack on rest as and when we can. We think, I'll get everything done that I need to done, and if I've got anything spare at the end, then that will be my downtime, my pause time. God flips that thoroughly on its head. And he says, hey, Adam, Eve, welcome to the world. Day one, do nothing. 
nothing at all. Just going to hang out. You and me, we're just going to chat when it gets cool in the evening. Going to walk in the garden. It's going to be great. God flips it on his head. Rest comes first. Connection with God comes first. And everything else flows out of that. This is the rhythm that God calls you into. We flip the rhythms on their head and then we wonder why we find that we can't hive out the space for rest. We can't hive out the the space to truly connect with God and with his people. Can I suggest to you, you know, can we go back to the created order? Now, I don't mean wander around in the garden with no clothes on, but I do mean get the things in their right place. Rest first, work second. That's God's plan for your life, not the other way around. Not work till you desperately need some rest and then collapse somewhere. That wasn't God's plan for you or for creation. And God, in fact, isn't done creating either. See, we read about the story of creation. He gets up to day seven, has a break, and we think, oh, well, God's been on a break ever since, just endless Kit Kats and cups of tea. Uh, no. God got straight back into creating, partially because he had to. See, you and I, we get things flipped upside down very, very quickly, and we started to break God's creation through the rebellion of sin. And so God needed to recreate, recreate connection with humanity, recreate family, recreate nationhood, recreate promise, recreate covenant relationship, recreate ultimately through Jesus, through God himself, life itself. He had to recreate everything. God ain't done creating. And do you know what is so good about this? God invites you and me to join him in his creative work. Yeah? He's saying to me, I'm not creative, Pastor Greg. If you give me a pencil, I could maybe draw you Mickey Mouse, but that's about it. You know, I can do chopsticks on the piano. That's all I got. Come on. There is something creative in you. You are made in the image of a creator God. And God calls you to join him in creating newness of life, wherever you are. You remember those people that God gave to you? In those folks. God calls you to create. Oftentimes, we just want to strip creation of what it has. And we live in a world that ecologically is struggling. And we see the evidences of the way that we're just wanting to strip and and take away from creation. And there's no rhythm in it. There's no pause. There's no rest. There's no newness. But God says, if you will, if you will. Invest in the Sabbath, even though you do it imperfectly, you'll get a taste of new creation. You'll get a taste even of what it'll be like to be in heaven, to be in the very presence of God forevermore. Do you want to join God? Jesus is making all things new. That's the work of the cross, the work of resurrection. He makes everything new. Do you feel it? He longs for you to partner with him in this. And so Sabbath here is connected with creation. Later on, Moses, whom God gave the commandments to first, he was told to bring the commandments again to the people because, well, 
people forget stuff. Does anybody ever forget anything? Yeah? And so some of you, you just, you're resolved to just fib the whole way through this morning, aren't you? Uh, but we forget things. And uh, God's people, they were going to come into the land of promise. They were going to get what they'd longed for, yeah? Uh, it's like, a bit like a kid. And uh, it's coming up Christmas time and, and children, they say, uh, you know, I'll be good um, to get whatever it might be. Uh, the latest toy or the latest whatever, it's clothes or a bike or whatever it might be. And then Christmas comes and, and the, the, you know, the, the promised goods arrive and, uh, and then it's just very easy to forget to be good ever again, isn't it really? Until kind of December comes around, maybe they oh, I need to be good again. Uh, promised land, people of God coming into the place of promise. God's been doing wonders, will do wonders, amazing. They need reminding of how they should live if they love God. And so in Deuteronomy, then, we get this second statement of the law. You can find it in chapter 5. And um, you get these Ten Commandments given again. And again, we're told to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But this time, something really interesting happens. You see, God doesn't link it, then, to creation. Second time around, he links it to Exodus, to their freedom from slavery in Egypt. You see... God's people had been enslaved. They were subject. They had no freedom. They were, uh, had incredible demands imposed upon them. Horrendous way of living. And God had brought them out of slavery. He had set them free. Incredibly good news. And so here when God restates the command, he links it to remembering that they were slaves in Egypt. Chapter 5, verse 15 and that God brought them out of slavery with his mighty, outstretched arm. Is anybody glad today that God has a mighty arm? Yeah. I imagine God has two mighty arms. Not that he's got like really one big one and one really small. No. I think God's probably got two. But his reach is not limited and his capacity is not limited. God is strong and he's strong to save. And he saves you and he saves me. It's really, really good news. And so here it's linked to being set free. Why? Why is God making this connection? I want you to ask yourself again. Ask yourself some questions. Why do you feel in life that you have to keep going all the time? Why do you feel that you can't take a break? Is it because you don't feel free to do so? Maybe for good reasons. Is it that you don't feel free to say no? Or you don't feel free because you feel like you might be letting others down? I would suggest to you that the concept of rest is linked to true freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to just slack off and do nothing because you say, I'm free. I'm free to do it. I'm free not to touch that hoover ever again. That's not what God is saying here. But there is a link within the heart between Christian freedom, freedom for the people of God, and rest. As a lady called Dorothy Bass once put it, she said, slaves cannot take a day off. It's true, isn't it? Free people can. Slaves can't take a day off. Free people can. What does your life speak to the people around you? 
God's people had been brought out of slavery in Egypt and they were being brought into a promised land. And you know, they had been told by God, your life, your journey is supposed to speak into the world that there is a better way, that there is one true God and he wishes to bring a way of love and of peace and of holiness and of righteousness into the world. And you know, occasionally they managed it. More often they didn't. Come on, can we speak to our own lives? How often do our rhythms, how often does our rest, how often does our Sabbath and the way that we make it holy, how often does it speak into our world? There's a better way. There's hope in God. There's freedom to be found in him. You know, don't observe the Sabbath out of guilt or out of shame. Observe the Sabbath out of freedom. Because you want to proclaim the gospel. Because you want to speak life to your neighbor or to your colleague or to your husband or to your wife or to your kids or whoever it might be. God wants you to enjoy these rhythms. He wants you to work. He wants you to create. He wants you to show. In his, show his own image in your efforts and your achievements. This is a huge part of what it is to be human. But he knows, and he's made it front and central, that you need to rest as well. Rest is the first call on your week as the means of celebrating God's creation and freedom from slavery to sin. Only in celebrating the Sabbath right can you fully know the joy of work. That's a big statement. So if some of you really enjoy your work already, think about how much better it could get if you really invested in Sabbath rest. For some of you, maybe don't enjoy your work at all. Hey, look, this is, this is it. <laughs> Sabbath rest will turn a devastatingly bad job into at least a manageable job. <laughs> God opens these things to you. There was once a monk, and he was responsible for cooking in his monastery. And he went by the name of Brother Lawrence. You'll perhaps have read his little book, Practicing the Presence of God. And uh, the practice of the presence of God, sorry. And, and he wrote this. He said, I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. Let's really get down to it. Brass tacks. This is basic work, isn't it? Cracking some eggs, whipping them up in the pan. I turn my little omelet for the love of God. When it's finished, if I have nothing to do, presumably other than eat it. Um, if I have nothing to do, I prostrate myself on the ground. I lie down and worship my God who gave me this grace to make it, after which I arise happier than a king. When I can do nothing else, because work's important, but when I can do nothing else, it is enough to have picked up straw for the love of God. People look for ways of learning how to love God. They hope to attain it. I know not from how many different practices. They take much trouble to abide, to remain in his presence by varied means. Is it not a shorter and more direct way to do everything for the love of God? To make use of all the tasks one's life demands to show him that love and to maintain his presence within by the communion of our hearts with his. There is nothing complicated about it. One has only to turn to it honestly and simply.
That does sound very simple, doesn't it? I wonder if we'd do well to go home and cook an omelette. For the love of God. For the love of God. Sabbath is meant to be creation celebration and a freedom declaration. And on top of this, think how the Christians, they saw all of these things happening again wonderfully. They saw at that moment of Easter, Jesus rising from the grave. And they recognized in this the moment of new creation because Jesus had spoken of it. And on that Sunday, they said, hey, it's real, it's happening, creation is here. Let's celebrate. And then again, they gathered on that next Sunday, a little while on from there. And the day of Pentecost happened. And on that Sunday, they saw then freedom. Freedom. Freedom in the work of the Holy Spirit. And everything that God had done in his people, he started to do again. I wonder, has he done it in you? Are you newly alive in Christ Jesus? Are you full of his spirit? If you are, I tell you, Sabbath rest and making it holy will come as natural to you as breathing out, as we talked about just a little while ago. It's so precious. It's so precious. Take a moment to consider these new Christians. Things started to happen for them on a Sunday. So that became their Sabbath day of rest. But do you know their culture said, no, it's not. It's not a day of rest. Get back to work. So all of the other good observant Jews, they had a day of rest on a, on a, on a Saturday. And that was it. 1,521 rules as to how to observe the Sabbath. That's how you do it. I've written them all out for you. You can have a copy as you go. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> uh, we don't have rules like that. So these new Christians, the Jewish believers, but following their Messiah who had made them alive, were worshipping on, on a Sunday, but you know, most of them had to work. I know some of you, you have to work, okay? I don't say that lightly. It's not a choice to work. It's having to. And some work in healthcare and other uh, sectors that require that you work on the Sunday. And so I'm sure you can have sympathy uh, with these new Christians. It wasn't until AD 321 that finally Constantine, the emperor, said, well, let's have a holiday on Sundays. And uh, finally everybody got to have the day off. It wasn't until then. Pressures will come. Culture will say that we've got it wrong. Funnily enough, 90% of people in one recent survey said they didn't want more liberalization of the rules on a Sunday. They felt that we'd gone far enough. And wouldn't it be nice to have a bit of a break? I know some of you might struggle with this, but I would say to you, don't beat yourself up. What does Sabbath mean? What does it mean about your new creation in Christ Jesus? What does it mean about your freedom in the Holy Spirit? How can you find a way to make Sunday special, even if you absolutely have to work? And I choose those words carefully. This is not just a flippant choice. This is the absolute have to. How can you still make Sunday special? Because that's keep making it holy. A bunch of our young people, they're not with us today. Uh, they're in Event City in Manchester, not because they've decided to go see a gig or go to a show or something like that. They're, they're keeping Sabbath and making it holy by attending the gathering. 
And they're having a marvelous time doing that as well, celebrating God's goodness. That's what they're doing. Even if, how do you make Sunday special? And how do you ensure to carve out time within your week to rest? You must rest. You need to rest. I thought I'd get a really loud amen for that. You already started resting, haven't you? <laughs> We're going to come around the table and maybe I could ask the team to come and lead us. But before the um, service come, can we just spend a moment considering how our Jesus made best use of Sabbath? Jesus wants to speak something to us and it will come as both invitation and challenge as Jesus always does grace and truth <coughs> if you were to read and we don't have the time this morning I'm afraid but if you were to read in Luke chapter 13 Luke chapter 14 too, you would find on those occasions Jesus Luke chapter 13 he's in the synagogue the place of of Jewish meeting. They were doing incredibly good and godly things. There was a, a lady there and she was oppressed by what the Bible calls a disabling spirit. There they all were doing their good religious activities, excellent stuff. Nobody was attending to this lady. And so Jesus on the Sabbath day sets her free and he begins new creation in her life she's healed she's set free he says I know what the Sabbath's about it's about creation and it's about freedom and all the nice religious people looked on and said I thought it was about dressing up in your Sunday best and singing some songs and they had a go at him they said how are you working on the Sabbath and Jesus said you hypocrites come on don't you see what it's about? In the very next chapter, you know that something's really got Jesus' goat here because next chapter on in Luke's gospel, he's in a Pharisee's house. Religious scholar. Somebody really genuinely does know it all. They're not just faking it. They really do. In the house, Jesus sees somebody in your Bibles. It says they had dropsy, like a kind of edema, swelling, water retention. And Jesus sees this person struggling. We don't know how, but nobody else had noticed. And so Jesus again makes the point and he sets them free. And he begins new creation. He heals them and they're free. And they say, it's the Sabbath. And you can see them struggling with their 1,521 regulations of things you shouldn't do. And yet there's no new creation and there's no freedom for people. And they've missed the point. Christians, have we missed the point? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Where is new creation being shown in your rhythms of life? If it ain't be, change your rhythms. Where is freedom coming into your experience and where are you sharing freedom with other people? Because God's not going to give you an eighth day, but he will give you somebody that you can lead to freedom in Christ. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and Mark's gospel 
we find Jesus saying that the Sabbath was made for people and not people for the Sabbath. This isn't rules and regulations. It's not guilt and shame. It's freedom and new creation. And the Sabbath should be marked by the new creation breaking into the old, healing and freedom and all of these wonderful people. God didn't give you an eighth day, but you know somebody who needs healing, don't you? Today's the day. God won't give you a 25th hour in your day, but you know somebody who needs to be set free in Jesus' name, don't you? Today's the day. This is what Sabbath is for. In Matthew's gospel, we find these incredible words from the lips of Jesus. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. the Lord of the Sabbath is present with us today. He's present with us today. He doesn't come with guilt and shame, but he comes to correct lives that need correcting. He comes to correct my life. He comes to correct our lives. And he comes to open up, as he always does, a new and living way. I want to ask you today, as we come around this table, do you know the work of God's creative force in your life? Do you know what it is to be set free? And if you do, remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy means, means, it means that you bring new creation and you see people set free. I don't lay upon you one more rule, not one, certainly not 1,521. I do offer you this challenge and this invitation that what God has begun within your life is preeminent. It's the start of your week. It's not the end. And he calls you to join with him in bringing that in our world. Would you join me in prayer? This morning I've talked a lot about what it is to be made new, to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm conscious that it may be today. You say, I don't know that personally. That is not true for me. I've never been made new by God. Well, today God says, hey, this is the Sabbath. It's a good day for new creation. And I would say to you today, do you want Jesus to make you new? If you've never experienced that, but you would like Jesus to make you new, I would love for you to know that too. So before we move on to sharing communion, I want to make this opportunity plain. If you want to be made new by Jesus Christ and you never have, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, would you please raise your hand and I'll see it and I'll pray with you that you'll be made new in Jesus' name. That's great. I can see your hand. That's fantastic. You can put it down. Is anybody else wanting to join this gentleman in wanting to be made new in the name of Jesus today? I pray for this gentleman. Oh, God, I pray that he would know your hand at work upon his life he would hear you calling to him just as you would have called to Adam in the garden in the beginning and you call him to come to yourself 
and to know you and to walk with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do this work within his life. I know that you will. Make him new, Lord Jesus Christ. Make him new and set him free. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. This morning, we're going to come around this table together. I would ask you just to consider your life for a moment or two. As we come around this table, we do so recognizing that the body of Jesus was broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us so that we might come into the fullness of his life. What he has done is perfect and complete. Sometimes our surrender to him is neither perfect nor complete. And it may be today we are being spoken to by the Spirit that we need to reorder our lives. Where is the place of rest within our lives? How are we honoring the Sabbath? How are we appreciating his creative work in our lives? The way that he set us free. How are we sharing that new creation with others? How are we seeing others set free? For a moment or two, as the bread and the wine comes, can I invite you? Consider your life before God. And there's no guilt, no shame here. Rather present your life to God. If there are ways that your life needs reordering, then invite his help in these things. He surely will. If there are ways that you have not been honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, invite his forgiveness. He surely will. Be made new. Be set free. And help others to do so also.